0: Our gospel reading for today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. Hear these words from the New Living Translation. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up to a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed, so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Then his disciples asked him, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready, but I tell you, Elijah has already come, but he wasn't recognized. And they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also make the Son of Man suffer. Then the disciples realized he was talking about John the Baptist. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <clears throat> Will you join me in prayer? Most holy and gracious God, Father and Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for this time of worship and for discipleship. For this time truly to be centered into your presence. And Lord, as we enter into this time of deep devotion and discipleship, we ask for you to open our hearts and our minds and our ears so that we may be attentive to your word speaking to us. Turn out the distraction of the day in our lives so that we may hear entirely from you in this moment. Lord, may I become less so that you may be more. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It seems like the biggest story in the church today is taking place in a small little town about 15 miles south of of Lexington, Kentucky. A little place that has the greatest pizza out of a pharmacy you'll ever know. True story, best pizza I've ever had came out of a pharmacy. A little town that is divided by a little street on North Lexington Avenue that on one side has a college campus and the other side a seminary campus and about a thousand people who live in the town that have no idea that there's a college or a a seminary there. The town's known as Wilmore. Wilmore, Kentucky, home of Asbury College, or what I call Asbury College, it's now Asbury University, and home to Asbury Theological Seminary, where if you look at my office, it says I graduated somehow. This is this centering place of Christianity for the last 10 or 12 days. Based upon what took place out of a worship service around February the 8th. As is the case at at Asbury, you go to worship on the college side of the street on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And after the Wednesday service on February the 8th, the students didn't want to stop worshiping. They kept worshiping. They kept worshiping. They didn't want to stop. They just kept worshiping God. Nonstop for about 100 plus hours of continuous, nonstop worship. It has moved mountains in the hearts of some of the students on the campus, as well as students at the seminary. And my prof- some of my professors that I follow on Facebook talk about how much it has been this transforming moment of the community. Hundreds and thousands have driven into Lexington from other college campuses to experience what's going on, as well as pastors and others to wanting to see what's going on, to where a friend of Abby and I's who still lives in Wilmore reported that she's having a hard time just getting out to go buy groceries because there's so many people pouring into this tiny little town because they want to experience what God is up to. I've not made the trip, but some friends of mine have, and just what I've been able to see is a few minutes online of worship, and I can tell you it's powerful. It's holy. And even in those 15 minutes that I saw the other day, the speaker just happened to speak on something I was dealing with. God is up to something among these college kids. It's not uncommon for this to take place on that campus. About 50 some years ago, there was something similar that broke out on the campus to where some of my mentors who were there still talk about it today. And their influence from that moment inspired, spoke to me as they were mentoring me. What they got poured into ended up being poured into me. It's been this holy, powerful moment that has been flooded through social media channels. I've seen it on CNN, the New York Times, NBC. Everyone is fascinated, it seems, like what is going on in Wilmore, this town we jovially called the holy bubble. God is up to something. And as is often the case when God is up to something, we typically do that which we do in the church. We start to bicker. There's groups that are bickering because, well, it's not what I would call worship. It doesn't fit my agenda. It's not my theological box. It's not my comfort zone. So it can't be of God because my God wouldn't speak like that. And then there are others who are trying to take advantage of it. By making it all about them, live showing of worship services, when the campus had said, "Please respect the privacy of our students who are going through something right now with God," advertising that they're there, or even in the case of one situation, as a professor pointed out to me and others, that people were trying to market it for their own resources making up T-shirts and everything to say, I was there, mainly to get their money and take advantage of others. When God is up to something, we always try to make it about us. But the thing that I've been wrestling with for the last 10, 12 days with this thing is that God's up to something in a generation in which we've been praying for for years. Look around us. We don't have many of that generation in our church. God's up to something. Something in this Generation Z, Alpha generation. God is up to something. And they are experiencing this high, holy moment because they are seeking God, yearning for God, and wanting to hear from God. And you know what? The church to say, amen, God bless it, let's get behind it and support it just as we would in our high holy moments. In our high holy moments, when we've been up that mountaintop ourselves and we've seen God and we say, by golly, I've seen the face of God today. We worship today on this Transfiguration Sunday on a day that is about the high mountaintop moments. We jovially joke, perhaps in the pews, that this is a day that's confusing for us. What is it about Jesus that transfigured on this mountaintop, to where His face shone like a, a the sun, and His clothes became whiter than anything that a Tide commercial could ever get out? We joke about how we don't understand this moment and I think it's perhaps we don't understand those high holy moments of our own lives. For this moment is not about Jesus, though Jesus is a central part of the story. This moment is about Peter, James, and John. The inner core of Jesus' disciples, the inner sanctum, if you will, of Jesus' trust, his connections, the people that saw Jesus at his best and also saw him at his worst. They were with him. And it's this group that Jesus invites to this mountaintop. We don't know exactly what mountaintop it is. It could have been Mount Hermon, which is about 9,000 feet above sea level. It could have been Mount Tabor which is more in the plains level, about 1,500 feet above sea level, which when everything's just about below sea level, it looks like a mountaintop. When to us, it just be a tiny little hill. We don't know what mountain, and it doesn't matter. What matters is the experience that took place some six to eight days after an event at Caesarea Philippi. This little area by this water, tributary that flows into the Jordan River that was known as having this cave structure that the people of the time believed that was the gates of hell that it was so dark and so rusty looking that they believed that when you walk in here and especially because of some of the pagan sacrifices that were taking place along there and the water would turn blood red that they thought that was the gates of hell and so Jesus has taken his disciples right to this place at Caesarea Philippi for a conversation. And the number one question he's asking them is, who do you think I am? Yes, I've asked you about what the crowds, who the crowds think that I am. But I'm asking you, who do you think I am? And Peter responds for the group and he says, well, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the one we've been waiting on. One that all of our hopes, all of our dreams, everything has been rested on. And Jesus says, you're right. And upon this foundation, I will build my church upon which the gates of hell cannot break. But then Jesus says what's going to happen to the Messiah in the first of the resurrection and crucifixion proclamations from Jesus. When he says, look, we're going to make our way to Jerusalem now. And when we get there, I'm going to be arrested, betrayed, crucified. But on the third day, I will rise again in victory and glory. Peter says, nah, hold on here. This isn't what we want. We want something else. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now, he doesn't think that Peter is actually Satan in this moment. But what Peter is doing is being a stumbling block to Christ. And a stumbling block to the mission. But what Jesus wants to do in taking them to this mountaintop is for them to realize that they were right in their affirmation and what it truly means for them to follow the Christ. And so he takes them to this mountaintop. We have to guess that the other nine are left to just kind of watch camp somewhere on the foot of the mountain. But he takes them up to this top of the mountain. And something happens to Jesus. He's not the actor in this moment. The verb that we use for transfigured or transformed in our translations is in the passive tense. Which means that Jesus is receiving the action from someone else. It is God doing a work within Jesus to reveal his divine character to Peter, James, and John. They no longer see just what they thought they had always seen and that is someone who's just fully human they see in this moment someone who's fully human and fully divine they see Jesus for who he is and they see the radiance of his Messiahship they see the the radiance of his glory the radiance of his love the radiance of his beauty And to them, it shines like the sun and is as white as anything they could ever see. And they're in awe. Because they're at this high holy moment now and they are face to face with God. And they are experiencing Christ for who he is. And in a moment, they see Moses and Elijah and they're talking with Jesus These two people that were key leaders of the Old Testament, Moses, who redeemed and brought the people out of slavery, Elijah, who was one of the crucial prophets in the times of the kings, but both were anticipated to come at the age of the Messiah. They're there talking. Peter, James, and John, they get this high holy moment. This high experience where they know they are in the presence of God. And they get it, and they see it because they were wanting something from God. They were expecting God to do something in that moment. They didn't come going, well, we're just going to go up here and see what happens. They came with an expectant heart, wanting God to do something wanting God to speak into their hearts, yearning for God to come and show up. They were attuned, they were prayerfully attuned to the presence of God and they were listening for God to show up. If you think about those high holy moments we've had in our lives, that is what happens when we are attuned to the manifestation and the outpouring of God's holy love. God is present in all of our lives every day, but there are moments in our lives when we just see it a little bit more and we experience it a little bit more. And those moments transform us for a lifetime. They aren't just those little moments of, oh, it was a nice day to see God today. That was great. But it was these moments that are just, my life is different because God spoke in this powerful, beautiful, holy way. And I know I will never be the same. When we have those high holy moments, we talk about them for years. We talk about them. We want to just engage in those moments because they form us for everything we are. John Wesley's high holy moment came in the midst of worship, simply reading the, the preface to Martin Luther's commentaries on the book of Romans. And it was in that moment in that worship service that he knew his heart was strangely warm. He had that high, holy, mountaintop moment of knowing God's love. And it reshaped and reformed his entire ministry. Those friends of mine, mentors that went to school at Asbury College back in the 70s, they still talk today as if that renewal happened a few moments ago. And it reshaped and reaffirm everything about them for mission and ministry, even as they are at the point of retiring today. I still think back to a communion service right before I went to seminary where I'm in communion on a Tuesday night and I'm sitting in the front row and i feel this presence knowing that i was on the right track for once that moment still shakes me today some close to 20 years later those high holy moments shape us inform us and when we have them we just want to stay in that presence and we don't want to leave Just like my friend Erica who talked to Abby yesterday about all the people are just staying around to where they're driving down one lane streets on the wrong way. It happens in Kentucky, I've dealt with it myself. People just lying up and parking everywhere, they just wanna stay weeks later because they just wanna be in that presence. Just like us when we have those holy moments, we don't wanna leave, we don't wanna do anything different, we just wanna stay. And just like Peter, James, and John, they have this high holy moment and they don't want to do anything else, but they just want to stay in that moment. They say, can we build three shelters or three tabernacles? Perhaps a a semblance back to the festival of the tabernacles, festival of the booths, where you would build these shelters and live in them outside for eight days as a witness to the wilderness experience. There's some argument that perhaps they're connecting to that, but as I think about the passage, I can't help but think that they just wanted to stay in the moment. I don't think they were thinking about the festival, the tabernacles or anything like that. I think they just wanted to stay in this moment with Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and they didn't want to leave it. Because when we taste the presence of God, when we are in God's presence, Nothing else matters. And it so overwhelms us to where we don't want to leave and we just want to be there. But as soon as they start talking about building these shelters, we see Jesus coming up to them and we hear this voice from God in this cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to what he's saying. Listen to his teaching. Listen to him as he says he's going to go to the cross and the tomb. In a moment, it's all over. The cloud disperses. Jesus looks like he always does. Moses and Elijah are gone, and it's just Peter, James, and John with Jesus. And Jesus says, come on, get up. It's time to go. It's time to move on now why would Jesus say that why would Jesus on top of this mountain when they have had this high holy powerful deep worship moment why would Jesus say it's time to go I think what Jesus is trying to get to us is when we've had these high holy moments we still have to live out our lives. That these high holy moments can't just stay there forever. But we've got to let them be what forms us as we go into the valley and we suffer with our world and we battle with our world and we struggle in life and we struggle with being in mission with God. We allow these high holy moments to lead us into being different as a result of it. Truly, if we're the same person that we were before we entered worship or we entered these high holy moments, afterwards it meant nothing to us. But when we've had these high holy moments and they transform us, then it reshapes how we care for our families. It reshapes how we live in a dark and turbulent world It reshapes how we live in the chaos of our time. It even reshapes how we think about church and mission and ministry. It deepens our awareness of God to where everything we wanna do is to honor and glorify God because we've been in his presence And we just want to live that out. Jesus knows we can't stay on the mountaintop. But those mountaintop experiences form how we live in the world. How we tell the story of Christ. And how we shape our lives for Christ. Peter, James, and John, they went down off the mountain with Jesus and they traveled with him for the rest of the ministry before Jerusalem. And they're transformed by this moment. They know what's coming. They don't always get it right. Neither do we. But they are aware that God is present. And they seek to follow God wherever he goes. And I think that's the lesson for us today. As we have these high moments, as we've been in worship with one another, most importantly, as we've worshiped God, it's got to lead us out to being different as a result of us being together. To live differently because God has done something in us. And we do it by allowing God to work us, shape us, mold us. So that in all that we do, we give glory back to the one whom we've seen and whom we've encountered. So seek those moments. Seek God. but Ask God to shape us as we've worshipped and as we live so that everything we do can be in response to the one Who has shaped our lives from those holy moments? We pray for you. Most holy and gracious God, we thank you for our holy moments in our lives. Help them to shape us to being the people you've called us to be, so that in all that we do, we may give you honor and glory. Through Christ we pray. Amen.